Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very pleased to be welcoming this man. He's a singer, songwriter, performing and recording artist. His debut full-length album, self-titled Randall King, is out now. If you haven't heard of Randall King, you're going to be hearing him soon. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, brother. All right. It's a pleasure. I have to say, I've been listening to this new album nonstop. Well, thank you. It's great. I hope you've been racking up our Spotify suspense for us. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, what's it like coming out with your debut album? What What kind of message are you trying to send? Uh, man, you know, I'm just trying to represent myself in the best light possible. This record rep- represents a, uh, a lot of the roots that I come from. It represents my, my personal history, my personality. When I write songs, I try to write my, my personality into them and, yeah, show people who I am. And, uh, that's what this record is, man. It's just reason it's self-titled it, and it's, it's just country, man. It's just, it's me. Everything about it is me. And the part of the country you're from is West Texas? Yes, sir. I'm from uh, Lubbock, Texas, where Texas Tech is. So for anyone who hasn't been to that part of the country, tell us what would they expect to see and what would they, what, what's it like in that part of Texas? Ah, uh, man, you know, it's, uh, it's flat as hell. It's dusty. Uh, you can watch your dog run for about 10 days. You know, it's cool. It's good. It's a good, good place, man. There ain't nothing like the sunsets in West Texas. And uh, you got the canyons, you got the big night sky. It's, it's a little bit like a John Wayne movie, but, you know, we're modernized. <laughs> you like West Texas? I do like West Texas. I've been there my whole life. Do you ever see yourself moving? Uh, uh Yeah, I do. I do. I think when the time is right, I'll, uh, it'll either be Nashville or you know, Fort Worth. Maybe one day, hopefully, I'll I'll be able to move down in the hill country towards San Antonio, one of those areas. But right now, it's where, it's where we are, it's where we're based out of, it's where we're building everything out of, and then we'll be able to take the business and uh, and progress it forward and move out. But right now, you know, I've been looking for an excuse to get out of Lubbock for about eight years, and I've been there nine, and I'm just, I've never found a reason to, man. I've always found a reason to stay. <laughs> That's great. Well, tell us about your family roots. Yeah, man. Uh, my dad's a trucker. I come from four generations deep of, uh, of truckers and hay haulers. And uh, it started with my grandpa, or my, my great-grandpa, and uh, went down from there. And, you know, I grew up in a little town called Hereford, Texas. And it's a, it's a cattle town, feed yard. And so that's where they started making their business off because everybody says it smells like uh, cow turds up there, but my family always said it smelled like money. There's a way to make money off it. So, you know, my dad, my dad being the trucker, the only time I could see him was, you know, the two days he was home, or I could go on the road with him. And so I'd go on the road, and that's where really I was introduced to country music, because that's what it was always on the stereo, man. Country music, old school. I grew up on guys like Lefty and Haggard and Waylon and Willie and you know Gene Watson and all those guys, man. And so it got me inspired, so I got me turned on to it. And uh, from the time I could sing, now from the time I could talk, I was singing. And 
I would never shut up. So my dad told my mom one day, I said, if that boy don't shut up, just get him a guitar. <laughs> and lo and behold, that's where we are. You mentioned quite a few artists there. For example, Gene Watson. That's one you don't hear every day, but man, what a singer. Yeah, man, Pepper Rosie. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal. He was one of my first concerts I ever saw. Oh yeah, yep. Turkey, Texas, on Bob Will's day. Gene Watson was playing down there at the uh, the big dance hall, and it was for his really good show, man. Who would you say vocally is your biggest influence? Uh it's hard, man. I listen to a lot of a lot of country. There's bits and pieces I take of a lot of guys, but mostly. I found myself within a lot of vocal coaching and uh, a lot of singing over the, over the years. But I mean, I grew up trying to imitate George Strait, Alan Jackson, and Keith Whitley. Man, those are my three. Those are my three top ones. I love them. I'd say I reminisce a little bit more on Keith Whitley than anybody. But I don't know. Kind of up to the listener to decide on that. When did you start thinking, or when did the idea start? that you were writing your own stuff? <laughs> uh, well, actually, man, it wasn't, it wasn't that I, I always wanted to write songs. I, I just kind of, I knew that, you know, my second semester in college at Tech, I knew that I wanted to play music and I wanted to go down there and play in these bars. But everybody had their own songs. And I didn't want to go at it playing a bunch of cover songs. So I tried to write songs and I just started at it, and and during during the process of writing, I fell in love with it, and kind of got in agree with it. And I was writing our rock songs, but uh, it just took a long time to get the craft down and and learn. And and it took a lot of people telling me that I wasn't good enough hmm. for me to keep at it and uh, and writing and scratching away until people were like, "Damn, Hoss, that's a good song." <laughs> so it just took a while. So what was going on in your head when you were getting a negative reaction like that? I was trying to figure out why. Hmm. Man, if you get butt hurt doing this stuff, you might as well quit. Because there's always going to be people that there's always going to be people that don't like you and they don't like your stuff. The, the only thing you can do is figure out how to make yourself better and stick to and stick to who you are. So the moment you start changing around for other people to figure out who you are, that's that's when you lose it. Wow. I want you to tell us a little bit about the actual recording, the making of the album. Ah, uh, well, uh, what do you want to know? You self-produced this largely, correct? I did, man. It's a self-produced record. We were just starting to work with different producers up in Nashville, but it was just a real fresh relationship. And uh, we were just a couple months out of really needing to make the record. And you go with the producer up there and... and if they don't really know you and know who you are and what you do, they're just going to, you know, that there's a high chance that they're not going to get the record right. And uh, we're, we're, we were a band on a budget. Still kind of are, you know, but my manager was like, man, I'll tell you what, you produced your EP, which I did, and I produced a little five-song EP called Another Bullet, and I produced that back in uh, Fort Worth. And uh, they were like, I'll tell you what, we want to give you a shot producing your own record but we're going to do it up here in Nashville with uh, studio musicians and uh, you know the EP I took took my time with mostly for the budget 
sake. When I got the money, I put it into it. We went and recorded. Money wasn't there. I didn't record. So it took a long time recording that EP. It took about probably six months to actually record all all five songs. And uh, with this record, I had six hours to record eight songs. I had four hours to record the other the other five. And so it was uh, <laughs> it was it was challenging for sure, man. It, it, you had to be on your game. You had to be on your toes and work quick. And I uh, think quick. And so it, you know, there's always little things that I'm going to want to change in the record, but that's just part of naturally growing and, uh, and learning and getting better. There'll always be things when we go back and change. But outside of that, for it being my first real produced record, I'm, uh, I'll be honest, I'm pretty proud of it, man. We worked work really hard on it. And man, you should be. It sounds great. Thank you. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I love it. Now, one of the musicians who contributed to this album, just basically almost anything I've heard that he's done or worked on, he just really, really is a quality musician. I'm hoping you can tell us about Bobby Terry. <laughs> no, I love Bobby Terry. He's a, he's a badass. He, he recorded a lot of the guitars on Willie's new project, that new record he just put out. And uh, he's worked with Willie before. And Bobby's a very, very smart man. He produced a guy named Anthony Smith. If you know the song, if you remember him from back in the day, that uh, he had that song. If that ain't country, I don't know what is. Yeah. And uh, he produced all of Anthony's stuff. When Anthony wrote with Tony Lane, they wrote a song called Run together. Bobby produced the demo of Run for George Strait. And uh, George's producer heard it, and he goes, yeah, we just need to recapture that magic. We don't need to change a thing. <laughs> I mean, Bobby's a genius, man. So Bobby recorded, he recorded the bulk of the guitars. Him and a, a guy named John Conley, who's Kenny Chesney's guitar picker. They, re, you know, they when we recorded the songs originally, they, they went in and they, they both played guitar on it. But uh, Bobby went in and re, did, he, he did a lot of overdubs and things for us. He did all the steel guitar work. He played all the acoustic tracks. And then on Reason to Quit, that's the song that me and Bobby wrote wrote together. And I wanted to make a little bluegrass track, kind of reminiscent, reminiscent of uh, early Dirks, Randy Travis. And uh, Bobby went in and he played every single instrument on that uh, bluegrass track. He built he built all of that by himself, just pure instrumentation, man. He's, he's an incredible player, incredible person. And uh, I loved every minute of working with him. You just mentioned that you wrote a song with him. Do you prefer to write solo or do you prefer to write with other writers? Man, it just depends. There's a lot of writers that are really great at writing by themselves. And there's writers that just work better in, in a two-way write or a three-way write. And for me, it just it really depends on the writers that I'm with. There's guys that I bounce off with and we're on the same page and it's a lot of fun. Guys like Brandon Kinney. Brandon just cut, he just had a big cut that uh, Drowns the Whiskey song. Jason Aldean, Randall Lambert, he wrote that with uh, Josh Thompson. And Brandon wrote Keeper on the Line with me. And uh, man, every, any, anytime me and Brandon write, we just we flow off each other well. We work together well. Man, I just, I enjoy every second of writing. It's great, dude. And, 
So it just depends, man. If it ain't broke, I wrote that by myself, but I wrote that. Well, lyrically, it's not that deep, obviously, but I wrote that song solely because we needed something for our live show. We needed something that's going to take it in a different direction, and Frank it did that for us. And as much as I like the song, I mean, it's great, but it's, it's you know, there's songs that I just, I, I write better because I have other people that I bounce off with better. So how do you typically go about meeting the songwriters that you've been writing with? Well, my my day-to-day manager up in Nashville was the, uh, he acted as my, my publisher for a long time. So for about, uh, I guess, a year and a half or so, he was sending me up to Nashville and setting up all my co-writes with me, or for me. And uh, so I just, I'd go up to Nashville and I'd, walk into a room with people I'd never met and we'd sit down and scratch out a song. And, uh, you know, it was a very very difficult thing for me to do because I'd never done it, but it started working and it made me a better writer and uh, that got me a a publishing deal. And uh, he, you know, Scott was pitching me to uh, a guy named Chris Oglesby, who's my publisher now. And, uh, Chris loved everything I was doing and wanted to work with me, and that, that's where we are. He's a great dude. Now, I'm not going to ask you your favorite song on the album. Keep her on the line. <laughs> well, I was going to ask uh, if you could pick a song, <laughs> if you could pick a song to represent what you do from the album, would it be the same? You're going to have to really expand on that because that whole album is what I do. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's say you could only, let's say that you got booked, you're the, the talent at a huge, huge concert. There's And I only got one song? Yeah, you got one, you got one song to play for the masses. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's, that, that's a difficult one. I would probably, like, if I only got one song off the record, I'd probably go with When He Knows Me. When He Knows Me is, is the one song that is about my family. When He Knows Me is about my grandfather. It's about my grandfather and, uh, you know, him, him suffered through Alzheimer's for 20 years. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he was, he was on the trucker side of the family. So you can hear it within the song, man. It's, it's all about my grandpa which is a uh, big piece of me. And I, I, honestly, to this day, I think it's still one of the better songs I've ever written. And it's just, it's a piece of me, man. If you want a piece of me and a piece of my history, that's it. Well, tell us a little bit about your grandfather. What kind of man was he? Uh, he was one of the best men you'll ever meet, man. My grandfather is, uh, he was married to my grandma for 65 years, about 20 years, I guess 21 years ago or so now. He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. They caught it, but it was in a time where they didn't really know much about it. And so it didn't really start setting in real bad until about 10 years into it. And uh, so when he got it, he started getting on some different medications and things. They were were very experimental medications to just see if it would help. It slowed it down some, but the last 
the last five years were rough and the last two years of his life were just awful, man. I mean, they were, they were miserable. He would, problem is he was still conscious enough where he would slip back and forth and realize that he was slipping back and forth. And I, I mean, to me, that's, that is the biggest definition of hell on earth you could think of to not, to know that you're not in your right mind and not be able to do anything about it. And it's just awful, man. Completely yeah. awful. I was, I was very, I was very sad to see my grandfather go, but I was very, very happy and, uh, and glad because I know that he's, he's in a spot where he is no longer miserable and no longer suffering. And if anybody was ever suffered from it, he was suffering from it because that's miserable. It's awful. But, uh, he's in a much better place, man. And, the last day I got to see him was on uh, Father's Day. It was me, my grandmother, and my and my dad. And this lady, one of the nurses, took a picture of us in the room that day and uh, set it in front of him. And the whole time we were sitting there, he would look down at that picture. And he'd look over at, at me in that picture. And he'd recognize dad and, and gran- granny. And But he, every time he saw me in the picture, he'd go, who's that? And my granny would have to... You know, now, Doll, you know who that is now. That's, that's your grandson. And uh, I was hard, man. It was one of those things. Watching it in person and him just not know who you are at all was uh, incredibly hard because I looked up to my grandfather a lot. All my other, all my other cousins, they, you know, they got to ride in the, in the truck with him and they got to go out and work on the grinder and things. But I didn't get to do that because doing all that, was really hard on your hearing and all that equipment was loud. You know, my dad knew from a long, I don't know, even when I was a kid, he knew that I could sing and he wanted to protect that. So he did. I did. So I didn't go out on the show with my grandpa. So I didn't get to do those things. And so I got, I missed out on a lot of that. And then once he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I just feel like I was never, I, I knew who he was and I knew, I knew of him and I knew his personality and he knew me, but I, I don't think we were ever as close as, some of my cousins were and, and that I think that made it hard on both of us him and me one of the hardest working men you'll ever meet or ever would have met I mean just incredibly hard working he would run he would literally run along the side of the uh, the flatbed the 53 foot flatbed trailer and pitch bales of hay up on the truck because they couldn't afford a loader wow. oh, and he was a badass and he worked his ass off and that's where a lot of our hard work ethic comes from within this family. It started with him. He did everything he could to provide for his family and that. And that's where all the respect in the world came from. And uh, after that day, leaving leaving the uh, nursing home on Father's Day, I went home and I finished that song. It, man, it wasn't, I think it was just maybe a month or two later, he passed away. It was incredibly hard. Hmm. Man, thanks so much for sharing with us and being so open. Absolutely. Well, I'm sorry for rambling. No, no, it's <laughs> no, I appreciate it. So, I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about this is kind of a, a departure, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's such a super catchy song. I'm hoping you can tell us about tugging on my heartstrings. Yeah, man. I mentioned to you, Anthony Smith, the guy that wrote Run. He also wrote Cowboys Like Us, and uh. Anthony's a good friend of mine, great dude. Boy, he wrote when he knows me with me, actually. And uh, him and Carson Chamberlain. 
But I went over to his house to to write one day, and we were writing this song called Shades of the Fall. And we just man, we got we got stuck on it, dude. We got stuck. We got to the second, the first chorus, didn't get the second verse, and we just been at it and at it and at it and at it about four hours straight. And finally, we left to go get lunch, and uh, I came back and I was like, you know what, man, let's 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 put that on the side. We'll come back and finish that another day, which we did. But uh, we put that on the side, and I was like, man, I got this. I got this more fun up cool you know a big cool thing going on what do you think about this i showed it to him and and, and played played the first uh tugging on my heart and he goes yeah let's write that <laughs> <laughs> so he sat there uh you know he's a he's a he's a dad but he's a bachelor at the same time man and yeah, he's singing out there so he he gets the song and he entered it just worked man he understood it it's, it's fun it's a lot of fun to write it we just wanted to write a little piece that was kind of a piece of both of us and probably more so a piece of me, but it's just a lot of fun, man. What do you think has been the biggest compliment that you've gotten as an artist? The biggest compliment? Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. I've heard people that, uh, I've heard people that, Love love my songwriting, complimented me on that. That means a lot to me. I don't know. I, I think the biggest compliment probably probably came from uh, a guy named Garth Brooks, uh, who mentioned uh, you know he loved the record and loved what I was doing. I think you know he, he went out on YouTube or his his social media channel and and put put it out there that uh, he loved this record and. I said, this is what country music's about, man. And he gave me a lot of praise, man. That's probably the biggest compliment that I think I've gotten. But outside of that, man, I would say that my grandmother called me the other day. And she said, I just want you to know I'm incredibly proud of you and how hard you've been working. And I think that that right there, it, it means a lot to me. Huh. That's great. Yeah, he, and he, Garth Brooks, it's something he said. This kid is what country music is all about to me. Yeah. Yeah, he did. That's cool. He's great, man. He's an incredible dude. Incredibly humble, beyond humble. And uh, this one of the sweetest guys you'll ever meet, man. I guess there's nothing more you can say to him other than he's, uh, he's the biggest star on the planet with the most humble attitude you could ever imagine. It's incredible. Well, tell us about that song, The Road I'm On. Uh yeah man that's uh I wrote that I wrote that with Garth and that's that's the uh supposed to be the new opening song on his new tour and when you download his new record you get his single and then you get that song so it's 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 one of two but the road I'm on is a, is a really special song that uh we wrote together for his fan base it's a big tip of the hat it's a big thank you to his fan base and uh for believing in him and being being there in the moment with him at his shows. So it's a song that's going to work really, really well for him live, I believe. I and mean, it's just a big, you know, he's, he's a huge-hearted, humble man, and that's what that song is. And I saw on your website you're, you've got quite a few dates booked. I'm hoping you make it out to the Georgia-South Carolina area sometime soon. Yeah. Well, me too. We have <laughs> not been to the East Coast yet, so that'd be nice. Well, I'll be there. <laughs> yes sir i hope so what is the best thing about being randall king shit 
man, I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty blessed to be who I am and where I am. I don't know that there's a, a best thing. I think that there's a best thing about ever being, everybody being who they are. But, uh, for me, God's put me in really good places and, uh, opened a lot of doors for me. I've been doing my best to knock them out home, man, and, and make the most of it. My last question, I like to end super open-ended. Just give you the microphone to our audience. What would you say to anyone who's tuned in? Work your ass off, man. <laughs> work your ass off and uh, stay focused. Hard work pays off. That's nice. I like that. Well, Mr. King, thank you very much for spending time with us. Well, Paul, thank you for having me. I All right. appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And everyone out there, you can visit RandallKingMusic.com. All the information is there. It links to the Facebook page and everything else. And Randall, until next time. Yes, sir. Paul, I thank you. Thank you. All right. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. Outro music composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour, and if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit thepaulleslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ThePaulLeslie. Thanks for listening. Be good. <laughs>